Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney. Vivian is here to talk to you, to encourage you, and to show you how she had a successful homeschooling experience with her Wildflower Academy, and that her kids turned out great, and that with God's help, you can create the same experience she did. From her beginnings in Hostert, West Germany, to Dallas, it's been quite a journey, and her abilities to adapt, survive, and thrive are what make her unique in homeschooling. So have your pen and paper ready. It's The Sociable Homeschooler. And now, here's your host, Vivian McNinney. As he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens break open and the spirit descend on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. In you I take delight. Mark 1, 10 to 11. The baptism of Jesus by his cousin John was celebrated in the church this week. We jump from the birth and visitation of the Magi to this important event 30 years later. The heavens opening, a dove descending and a voice introducing, as it were, Jesus as the son of God sets the stage for the next three years. This is where Mark begins his gospel, the point he deems as the most important moment in salvation history. The baptism of Jesus rightly heralds the start of Jesus' three-year ministry on earth. Mark cuts right to the chase. The working out of God's plan to nail all our sins, past, present, and future in the person of Jesus, firmly and resolutely to the cross, thus eliminating all personal atonement, sacrifice, and penance, even judgment, for those of us who accept Jesus as our Lord and Saviour. How did Jesus feel when he saw the heavens open and the dove descend? Would he have taken strength from the voice of his father, proclaiming him as his delighting son? Would he think, oh no, what have I let myself in for? Whatever he thought, he went straight out into the wilderness to pray, and the Holy Spirit remained with him throughout his temptations. When we're baptised, we join God's family. We need to remember that we are beloved sons and daughters in whom God takes delight. Let's live our lives basking in the gentleness and safety of being a beloved child of the Most High, sin-free and saved in the eyes of the Father. Good morning and good afternoon. Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler. I'm your host, Vivian McNinney. My guest this week is Sandra Beck, host of the Toginet radio shows, Motherhood Talk Radio and Military Mum Talk Radio. We're going to be answering some very potent questions regarding the low-key exit of the U.S. military from Iraq a relevant topic for all American families. But first, I'll talk a little about zoo life for my son, some blog help from my friend Tina, and the arrival home of my youngest. So have a wonderfully soothing mug of hot chocolate nearby, a hobnob or two, and a cosy cushion to snuggle up against, and listen up as I bring you a thought-provoking show to enhance your homeschooler's half-day Friday and give you something to talk about over the weekend. And we're in epiphany season at church, having celebrated the feast last Friday, at a musically uplifting service at our church. Sadly, there was a poor turnout, which meant happily we could all gather around the crib and join in with our responses, as well as watch close up as the priest placed the magi around the baby Jesus. Our tree came down last Saturday, that's the indoor Christmas tree I'm talking about, not the one outside, and is now neatly stored in the garage alongside a small box containing the rest of Christmas, ornaments and figurines wrapped in tissue paper, and the crib. My brother loved the crib, which is what the creche is called in British circles, and remembers our father making it for us when we first moved into the house in London. His memories of same events are so him. Of course, the mind captures what's important to you, not to anyone else, so listening to him talk about things I'd forgotten was enlightening. He told how our father made lots of model scenes for him. Daddy would buy a kit and then reinforce it with hardboard so that it was virtually unbreakable and could withstand the rough handling of a seven or eight-year-old. 
He remembers a fort, a jail, a western town, a railway station. I remember a farm. I also remember Vincent setting fire to his western town after carefully setting up his cowboys and Indians. He vehemently denied it, but I remember it well. As I was telling the story on Christmas evening, his sons, my nephews, 12 and 8 years old, were open-mouthed in horror, especially when I reminded Vincent that his pyrotechnics took place in the bedroom upstairs, not even outside. I have a son who likes to set fire to things too, must run in the family. Vincent laughed it off. After all, it was my memory, not his, so... Not particularly reliable, he doesn't think. Once Christmas was all packed away, we took possession of our friend's furniture from upstairs. Our flat has now taken on a home-like feel, which is startling at the moment. I don't want to spend any longer than I have to away from my family and friends in Texas. But it does look elegant. And our living space now looks very different from the way it was when we first moved in. Of course, I was able to spend the weekend moving furniture without it being a stress reliever. So I was happy and a lot of hidden Hidden away, things got dusted, little corner looks and crannies. When Malia left for America, I counteracted her departure by moving our bedroom around, and with the bed on the other side of the windows, the closets were all wrong. So instead of switching closets, which would have been a task and a half, I moved bedsides. Have you ever tried doing that? I don't know if it's the high winds and storms of the last few nights, or the fact that I'm sleeping on the right, but my nights are restless as I keep waking up, checking the clock. I'm wondering what the children are doing. We'll see how long that'll last. And a shout out to my friend Tina here. Wake up. I'm talking to you. Tina helped me out over the holiday with my blog and website. Thanks, Tina. I have to tell you, though, tying her down was next to impossible. Not that she isn't one of the most flexible people I know, but I began trying to book her in November, and she'd email me and say, Oh, I've got nothing happening all week. Pick your day. And I'd look at my calendar and email her back with, Oh, wow. I don't know which calendar you're looking at, but Thursday on mine is Thanksgiving. Are you sure you have no plans? And she'd write back with a smiley face and a, whoops, I forgot. And we'd move on. Maybe the major holidays are too obvious to make a pencil note of. I find the only holiday I tend to miss, and it's my favourite time of the year, is Easter. Not that I miss it, really, because church makes sure of that, but I have sometimes inadvertently scheduled something that runs through Holy Week. There was a play one year. Oops. Tina and I finally connected just after Christmas. Thanks for your help. One of the things I learned was screen share, which was amazing. Well, the other day, my zookeeper son Skyped us, and he'd had such a bad day. He'd just told me about a small antelope called a dick-dick that had moved into his area. It was no taller than one of our large house cats, about 12 inches, and weighed all of 8 pounds. These little antelope are lovely. They resemble Bambi, his cutest. And when I looked them up to learn more, I read that they'd rather hide from their prey than run, a creature after my own heart. It was his first day in the Hoofstock area, that's the dick-dicks, and he was very curious and nervous. My son was clattering around doing his cleaning routine in one of his barns first thing in the morning. He carefully unbolted the door to the pen where the new animal was and stood looking at it. The animal registered his presence and lost control. Not finding anywhere to hide in a hurry, he began to run and jump up against the wall. He lost his balance against a feeding bucket and fell and broke one of his forelegs. But not good news for hoofed stock. They spend most of their time on their feet, or should I say hooves. The vets decided to try to splint the leg together, but that didn't work, and it was during the amputation of the limb that the poor little creature died. My son was very upset, not that it was his fault, 
And I asked what he could have done differently and would do in the future. And he said, well, not go into its pen. But of course, he has to for cleaning and feeding. And on top of all of this, he has another charge, a diker. These are larger animals with bug eyes and contentedly sit and chew the cud every time I've seen one anyway. This particular diker is quite old, in his 20s, and has lost his appetite. Simon says they've tried enticing him with special vegetation and oats, but the only thing he'll respond to is tender, loving care. He's very affectionate and enjoys being rubbed and scratched, and Simon does a lot of that when he's there. Of course, he's dehydrated, and the keepers can do nothing. You know, the old saying, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. A couple of days ago, before Simon went on his weekend, the professional set up an appointment for a procedure to rehydrate the animal. Simon feared the worst. It takes a lot of courage to be a kind and wise steward of animals, but on his return, the diker was still hanging in there. The following day, the really bad day I started with, the professionals decided to euthanize the diker. Simon could go into the necropsy, but because he knew the animal so well, he decided against it. Keepers grow very attached to their charges. That same day, a gazelle he used to care for died while undergoing a procedure for a grapefruit-sized cancerous cyst in one of her udders. The keepers had recently noticed blood on her hind leg, but as Simon pointed out, these animals are prey in the wild and are very good at hiding illness. Consequently, the animal had been ill for a long time. He also said that regular checks are more traumatic for the animals, so as long as they're eating and appear to be healthy, they are left well enough alone and... The vets rely on the keepers to notice any difference in behavior. And also that day, one of the mountain goats who was still nursing a kid got spooked by the wind while outside with the herd and ran into the fence surrounding their enclosure, slapped her neck and killed her instantly. So three animals in one day and four in the space of about 10. Simon's learning some tough lessons about loss and responsibility. Well, our youngest daughter arrived home, and I can't wait to sit her down and hear all the news about our other children, although I'll probably be treated to lots of stories about the person she saw the most, her boyfriend. I know she was thoughtful. She visited all the family in the surrounding area, including Grandmama in Lindale, East Texas, making them feel special. She also went to our church to get an eyeful of the much-talked-about beard sported by our priest. It's down to his chest, apparently, and has earned the nickname Forkbeard. And he has been asked by colleagues at the seminary, where he went and did a couple of weeks during the summer, if he was going over to the eastern side. I hope she managed to snap a quick picture. That would be a sight to behold, wouldn't it? And before I go on my first break, I'm going to introduce my guest this week, Sandra Beck. Sandra is the mother of two young boys who keep her grounded. She's also an author, coach, speaker, entrepreneur, and philanthropist. And if that's not enough to keep her on her toes, she hosts two shows here on Tokenet Radio, Military Mum Talk Radio and Motherhood Talk Radio. An active contributor and participant in many charities, Sandra Beck strives to make the world a better place for today's and our future's children. Near to her heart are Toys for Tots, World of Children, Children Uniting Nations and Operation Gratitude. Um, plus... I've got two others that she told me about, and I can't find them right now. Anyway, um, anyway, Operation Gratitude provides American civilians a way to express their respect and appreciation to the men and women of the U.S. military by sending care packages addressed to individual sol soldiers. Sandra was born in a small town outside Buffalo, New York. She attended Northwestern University and earned both her bachelor's degree 
in journalism and her master's degree in advertising. Today, we're going to be talking about the withdrawal of U.S. troops from Iraq, how it's affecting military families and what we can do as civilians to support our troops and all involved who risk their lives for our freedom. So the other two charities, I found them, were Shining Service Worldwide, which particularly um, is for women, and Harvesting Happiness for Heroes. So when I go on my break, promise to come straight back after just a few moments and enjoy my conversation with Sandra Beck. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. It's time to get your boots on with the Boot Campaign with hosts Megan Roth and Bailey Gray, Thursdays at noon, 1 central on Toginet.com, sponsored by Austin Bank. The whole point of the Boot Campaign is to continue the true grassroots initiative developed by a group of patriotic women known as the Boot Girls. Inspired by the true story of Marcus Luttrell, the lone survivor, the Boot Girls got started with celebrities but want every American to get your boots on by purchasing a pair of the Give Back Combat Boots. The campaign's motto is simple. When they come back, we give back. For more on the Boot Campaign, go to the website, bootcampaign.com. The Boot Campaign Get Your Boots On Show will feature discussions on current events impacting the lives of active duty and retired military, interviews with our nation's war heroes, medical professionals, and celebrities who have put their boots on. Do your part and join us for The Boot Campaign Get Your Boots On Show with Megan Roth and Baby Gray, Thursdays at noon, 1 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. Welcome, Sandra. It's a pleasure to have you as a guest on my show this week. I know you're a busy, busy lady, so let's start with how you became involved with the military and why you decided to host a radio show about military mums. Um, well, it's a quite funny story. I was in college, part of an Empress Queen group, which was a group of girls who had a certain level of academic uh, proficiency, and we were hired basically by the military branches, the Marine Corps, the Air Force, the Army, and the Navy, to represent them as a civilian liaison. And I did that for a couple years in college, and I represented the Marine Corps. And during that time, I was educated in a lot of wonderful things, protocols, how to run charitable events. Events, how to run fun runs, um, very, very heavily involved in the Marine Corps. And near and dear to my heart in that process was learning how to manage Toys for Tots campaigns, to raise toys for children who don't have them. And Toys for Tots is a national campaign. Um, and in the past 10 years has gone international, which is very exciting. And I stayed with the Marine Corps after college as a civilian liaison and as a volunteer. And when I formed my company, I became a single mom with two little boys about eight years ago, and I formed a company, Motherhood Incorporated, and we get 
uh, military contracts. We're doing a job for the Army right now. We work for the Marine Corps, the Navy, and the Air Force. And during that time, I was doing some leadership training down in Camp Pendleton, which is located in Southern California, beautiful, right on the beach. Mm-hmm. And there were some moms there that were talking about post-traumatic stress disorder. Uh, you may know it also as PTSD or combat mm-hmm. fatigue. Mm-hmm. And they were handling this piece of paper, Vivian, that had been had been reproduced so many times that it was hard to read and it it was all crumpled up and I thought this is crazy this is not the way we should be delivering yeah. you know medical information mm. Mm-hmm. And um, so I was driving back on the 405, which is a big, big, major freeway in Southern California, and I called the owner of the radio station where I was already producing Motherhood Talk Radio, and I said, we need a specialized show for military families to deliver information. And prior to that, I had called the Pentagon. I had called friends of mine in high places throughout the military, and everybody said it would be two to three years to put a radio show on the air, you know, funded by the military or funded by our government, and the owner of TogiNet, John Martin, and myself uh, agreed to jointly fund this company, Motherhood, I'm sorry, Military Mom Talk Radio, and bring uh, experts from PTSD to family issues to the airwaves. And the most wonderful thing about it is because the military is stationed all over the world, families can go to iTunes to download shows. If they can't catch it live, Um, broadcast. They can email it to each other. They can bring it in and play it in coffee shops. It's really a perfect portable package uh, to deliver information to our military families. So, I mean, your story is absolutely marvelous. Neither one of your parents were in the military. You just did this Uh, from college? Your father yeah, my was? dad. Okay. My dad was in the navy. Okay, and um, and I'm you know I've I've spent a lot of time around military contractors, military family, and my family is a huge, huge support of all military. The British Navy, the U.S. Navy, mm-hmm. <laughs> we're big fans. We're big fans of the Harrier, which is made in made out of England, and uh, you know it's just such a wonderful opportunity to be part of the world. Mm-hmm. Oh, so I mean that's so that's even better. The fact that it was something that was already in the family and now you're you're reaching out and doing what you now do best which is you know get the message out there to um the people that need it the most absolutely absolutely it's funny you know what no matter what country i've been in and i've been all over the world when i talk to people who support the military there's that perception uh vivian that if you don't pick up a gun if you're not in uniform you know you're not really serving your country or serving you know the cause that you're fighting for Mm -hmm. and when i look at the sheer number of people who actually fight whether you're in the u.s or the you know british forces there's five more people behind you in support structures so that you can do what you can do. And it is a massive coordinated effort uh, to support our military. And I look at it as a one to five. For every one soldier, male or female, that's out there fighting, there are five people behind them supporting the minimum along the way. Yeah, yeah well, I have a cousin whose husband um, was in the uh, British Army, and his job was to coordinate food. He was a, he was a colonel, and he would go to all these places where wars were being fought, but his, his job was food. So, very important. <laughs> very <laughs> extremely so. Keep the morale up, keep the tummies full, and, and the men satisfied, and the women. Um, all right, so let's 
get to um, the the um, pulling out the withdrawal of the U.S. troops from Iraq. It was um, during the holidays, and we know that holidays are always a stressful time, whether they're happy or sad. Um, and for military families, particularly, the prospect of spending them away from their loved ones is daunting. But at the end of last year, most of the troops were pulled out of Iraq, and they were sent home just in time for Christmas. But Sandra, I know I've had a husband who spent many many years on the road after the initial honeymoon when he comes home how do you cope with the ups and downs how do families cope with this well one of the things that happens and we call it re-entry we have a family dynamic you know in most military families you know we'll have you know one or two kids maybe three or four but most military families are small and you have a service member one or both parents in this case in this war that could be serving and could be sent home at the same time and what happens is yes absolutely the first 24 hours everybody's so excited you know the anticipation the stress of waiting, are they going to get home in time? And they come home. Um, but very shortly thereafter, there comes an entire shift in the family, a full readjustment. And it's very, very difficult uh, when a service member comes home because if you take, for example, a family of three, you've got three kids and you've got the mom who's been handling uh, everything from the get-go, from the day her husband stepped on the plane to go on deployment, and they end up creating their own system that works for them and they have child care in place they have transportation in place you know she has her routine her system her groceries are done on a certain day you know when you're a single parent or a military parent you have to be very very organized in order to get your kids to soccer you know homework done meals made shopping done especially most people today uh, work and so you've got to juggle that mix in and then even though it's a helping loving hand that comes up you've just thrown a big wrench in the monkey works mm-hmm. And he's going to want to do things his way. He's going to want to, you know, see the kids and want to do this. And all of a sudden, that whole family dynamic that might have been set up successfully for up to 18 months or two years, all of a sudden needs to be adjusted. And the service member comes home and they've been really replaced during that time you know you can't replace a husband or a wife you know from a love standpoint but you can from a facility management standpoint in the home and so they come home and they're like you know what do I do where do I fit in and a lot of times people get very proficient at running the family and when the spouse comes home whether the children are being taken care of by the grandparents a lot of cases if it's a single mom on deployment or both parents are on deployment the grandparents come in and raise the children and everybody needs to adjust and the children a lot of times Vivian don't They have been for two years running to the grandparents for everything or running to mom for everything. They don't, some of them may not remember their dad, depending on the age, depending on the the length of deployment. They may not remember their mom. Their mom could be a picture or somebody who's on Skype. And they're fully bonded with whoever the caretaker is. Mm. It's a very, very big adjustment. Mm. Mm. Um, Is there support 
I mean, they, there they support is. each other, yes, probably, but is there formal there support? Is. Yeah. There is formal support. There's formal support on the bases. There's formal support within the psychiatric and psychological communities uh, to help these families adjust. A big part of it is being aware that there's this big shift in dynamic because another shift happens a lot of times right before the person is deployed. And we see a lot of fighting in families. We see a lot of different ways that families separate mm-hmm. emotionally from the person who's leaving. Mm-hmm. And um, it's very, very unique. Most families will never experience deployments or uh, overseas assignments. Most companies, when they transfer someone overseas, they pack up and move the whole family. Mm-hmm. In the military, however, you know, where people move sometimes every two years and it's not uncommon for somebody to move 10 or 12 times in the course of a 20-year military marriage, um, once the kids start getting set up, people don't want to move and they yeah. can't move. You know, we're not moving families to Iraq and Afghanistan. Mm, exactly. Yeah. 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 Well, um, so deployment is, you know, the, the parents left at home. It's just like being a single parent. It is. It's it's absolutely like being a single parent, but with one critical difference, uh, Vivian. They... When you're a single parent, I'm a single parent, and I'm currently dating a military commander, and uh, he's retired, and I'm able to go out to dinner with him. I'm able to, if we break up, and I'm still a single mom, obviously, I can go out, I can meet someone else, I can get those needs met uh, for companionship, for friendship, for love. In a military environment, you have all the responsibility of being a single parent and none of the ability to get your needs met. No, no. Very, very difficult. You know, the women band together and the men band together. It's very lonely uh, because your spouse is overseas and uh, very difficult to communicate, even with current communications. You know, a lot of them have cell phones and they can communicate, but mm-hmm. if they're moving or bivouac somewhere, they can uh, not communicate to their partners for sometimes mm-hmm. three, four weeks or a month at a time. Mm-hmm. Very, very difficult. And, um, and, when you're a single mom, you don't go to bed every night wondering if your your husband was killed in action last night or yeah. wounded or disappear, even worse, you know, where they just disappear and, and they're, you know, you don't know where they are. Those things affect families. Those things affect parenting. You know, if you haven't heard from your spouse in three or four days or a week and you were supposed to hear from them, you can't go to your kids and go, I'm really worried, you know, dad Dad hasn't called. You know, they yeah. may figure it out if they're older. But you have to manage all that stress independently from your family while you're holding everything else together. And that's why, for me, with military moms and military wives, I think they are some of the strongest women on the planet because they not only have to hold the home front together, do everything in their absence, but manage that day-to-day fear. Yeah. And of course, they can't choose to come home for the holidays. <laughs> no, I mean, they, they, you know, it's not like it's not like college or uh, a job, you know, where you can take vacation and just just come home. They're 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 gone for their posting, and and they usually don't get to come home. So no, ma'am. Well, we're we're going to have to go on a short break here, um, Sandra. For those of you just joining us, I'm talking to Sandra Beck, host of Military Mom Talk Radio here on Toginet, and we're talking about the homecoming of thousands of troops from Iraq just as the holidays hit, and how these families are coping now that reality is catching 
up with them. In the next segment, we will be talking about what happens next. So make yourself another hot drink and come back in just a moment for more of Sandra. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Why do I feel so lousy? Why are my medications working? Why can't my doctor figure me out? These are just a few of the questions Dr. Kevin Connors will be exploring in Dr. Kevin Connors Live every Monday night at 9 p.m. Eastern, 10 p.m. Central on Toginet.com. The author of the book, Help, My Body is Killing Me, Solving the Connections of Autoimmune Disease to Thyroid Problems, Fibromyalgia, Depression, ADD, ADHD, and more. He'll dig into these and many other conditions to dissect the mechanisms of your problems. Giving God the glory and looking for answers to make you look and feel better, to make you feel whole again. For more on him, his book, and the show, check out UpperRoomWellness.com. Never be satisfied with a diagnosis. There is always a reason behind it. And if you can alter the mechanisms that led you down your current path, we can change your future. It's Dr. Kevin Connors, live, Monday nights at 9, 10 Central, here on Tugginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNenny. Sandra, uh, that was absolutely fascinating what we were just talking about, things and ideas that would never have occurred to me as a civilian and definitely not um, with some of my homeschoolers. Um, so with the widespread coverage on the media um, with the war, I remember personally Desert Storm, we had our babysitter's son actually was was out there and she had the television going all the time just watching what was going on. So how do military families keep a healthy balance between too much information, not enough uh, for themselves, for their children? You know, it's very easy with the media saturation today between the internet and the television and the radio, such unbelievable coverage, not to get, you know, glued to the tube or to, um, to search for information, especially through Facebook and Twitter. There's so much information. There's misinformation, but there's also really graphic images that come back. When you look at some of the things that we've seen, it's, it's very frightening for our military children because mom and dad are there and it's impossible these days. You know, you've got televisions in the airport, you have televisions at the gas stations, you know, those screens that are on the gas pumps and everywhere you go, there's some media broadcast of this and it's not reasonable unless, you know, keep your children locked in their room that they're not going to experience some of these graphic images, whether they're also in magazines and newspaper, you know, there's terrible, terrible pictures uh, printed everywhere. And this is where it's very difficult for the military family because it becomes addictive. You can continue searching for information and eat up a lot of your time, but more importantly, it's frightening to the family. And that's where the family really needs to band together and 
military children learn very young that what mom and dad are doing is dangerous and that Mm -hmm. it is heroic. Um, And most families that I've experienced, Vivian, turn to faith. They put it up to God and say, you know, we can't control this. We don't know what's going to happen. We have to pray, you know, for our mom and dad or uncle or aunt who's over there to whoever they pray to. I'm not saying it has to be any one religion. Um, But in a case like this where you're absolutely, completely, utterly helpless in finding out the condition or the location of your loved one, you really do need to turn to something else and you need to turn, teach your children um, how to manage that information input because it is very, very frightening. I can imagine. I mean, I, I just see the images myself and I, I think, oh my gosh, you know, that there's so much out there. And you're right about it being addictive because I just even, just watching my children growing up with Facebook, you know, they their perfect day would be 12 hours spent in front of the you know computer screen checking all their friends and what they're doing on Facebook. So I can't imagine, you know, what access to, um, you know, their, their friends and, and the war stories would be like. Well, in each of the groups, each of the, you know, battalions, each of the, you know, the different groups that are over there have their own Twitter accounts. They have a lot of times their own Facebook fan pages and people can go on there and post. And so you're right. It is, it's very social, uh, but it's also a way to alleviate that anxiety and stress because we call it friending and lending. If I can talk to you, Vivian, about what's bothering me, gee, I'm really upset. I haven't heard from my commander. He hasn't called me back in three days. He hasn't emailed. I'm so nervous. Then you can turn around and you can, I can lend that fear to you and you can be my friend Mm -hmm. and say, you know what? I've been there, Sandra. It's very nerve wracking. We're going to pray. We're going to hope he's okay. We know we can't control the outcome, but we're going to send positive thoughts to wherever he is and help him in his job and help him keep safe. Mm -hmm. And that's very comforting. Mm It doesn't change the situation, but it's comforting. Yeah, yeah. Well, yes, and and it, gosh, it's, you can relate it a little bit to a regular family, you know, doing that. But it really, unless you're in the military yourself and have experienced that kind of fear and worry, I don't think, I don't think you would ever be able to, as a civilian family, totally relate with your military neighbor. Are there going to be military neighbors now? I mean, with the downsizing, are we going to have people coming into the workforce, into our neighborhoods who have been in the military and no longer in the military are trying to make their way as civilians? Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And even with the changing in the economic, you know, the economic winds have changed, you know, over the past years. And we are now seeing more and more military families living off post or off base Mm -hmm. in civilian communities. On my street alone, I have two Air Force families and, you know, on a canyon of, you know, 20 homes to our Air Force and the rest are civilian and integrating a military family within a civilian community. And I'm going to say this, and maybe it's because I'm pro-military and worked for the military too long, is more the responsibility of the community than the military family. Because the military family is used to being a self-contained unit. They pick up, they go, they do their things, and now they're in the community. And 
it's really helpful, I think, for neighbors to approach the military family and say, you know, we're here, we're part of support structure. Um, we think what you do for your service for your company is amazing. Our country is amazing. You know, to break down some of those barriers between military and civilian, because when a military family understands that your family is very pro-military, you don't have to be pro the war, but you can be pro their military service and their sacrifice, you mm-hmm. honor and acknowledge that, you pave a really good way to create friendships. And what's really wonderful in this type of environment, like with my kids, my kids have been, you know, to a couple different countries, but they haven't lived all over the world. And when we meet a local military family, we like to talk about where they've lived, what they've experienced, and it opens up the world and it validates their experience. The kids are so excited to talk about living in Kentucky or living in Texas or living in London. And then my kids come back and say, well, we've lived here and we've done this and it's so much fun. And you really open up the world for everybody. Um, so that's happening now. You, you get families that um, live off base. Is this new? I mean, do they choose to live off base or have they always been able to do that? Um, it's becoming more and more common that families live off base. Uh, in, in prior wars and, and longer times ago, people, and it depends on the location to what type of housing the base has to offer. But when you, when you look at especially a dual military family, like I have on both, both families on my street, both, uh, sets of parents are Air Force, uh, because we live near Edwards Air Force Base. Uh, they, uh, You know, they choose to live off post because they can give their kids better access to different um, activities and facilities that aren't available on the base. And the base housing is very limited. But we're getting so many families now coming back uh, together and looking for housing and looking for permanent relocation now that they're either being discharged from the military, that downsizing that's coming up that we're looking at is going to put a heavy burden on the economy here because we have a bunch of people, 25,000 at a pop, losing their jobs and pushing into the civilian job market and everybody's looking for work. Okay, so, so, very, so, very how, difficult. so how is that going to be handled? I mean, how, how do 25,000 people lose their jobs and, and, and ha- deal with that? How, do, how does that happen? Is there a pension? Uh, would, would they get some kind of a pension, some kind of... Uh, it depends. It depends on yeah. how long they served. It depends yeah. on in what capacity. Um, but uh, it's one of those things where if we're not fighting in a specific theater and arena, we don't need these people. And there's not all these military jobs that they can integrate into now. However, they can integrate quite seamlessly into the defense contractor companies. Like Northrop Grumman is a large corporation here. It employs over 150,000. And they just received a $541 million contract from the Air Force to create some new weapons, to create some new planes is not defined what they're creating but there are job opportunities for people but they will be competing with the civilian market yeah yeah so how do you think that'll affect the um job market will it, it'll make it much more aggressive and, and competitive aggressive. i would imagine yeah absolutely absolutely yeah. yeah and are we talking about young people or all kinds of people across the board um, we're talking about, you know, ages from, you know, about 18 to 35. 
18 to 35. You know, most of them, the bulk of them will be between 18 and 25. Mm-hmm. So young people, maybe not married yet, and what? Yeah, both, both. You know, both, a yeah. lot of our military yeah. families. You know, our military, military has a lot of young families. It's not uncommon for these families in the eighteen to twenty-five year olds to have, be married and have one or two kids. Mm-hmm. Right. So um, we can befriend these people that are moving into our into our neighborhoods. It's you say it's up to civilians to um, come forward because military are very. Um, sort of good at making their own um, network and, and, and being self-sufficient, I suppose. So it's so up it's to, up to um, civilians, civilians to come forward and, and, and start, start the um, process, process of befriending. befriending. Um, um, then then we're, going to, we're going to be looking at, looking at um, how they're going, how they're going to be employed and, and, and um, how, 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 how is the dancing actually being handled? handled. I mean, are, are, is that across is that the board? Across the board? Are they just everybody, everybody that was coming in from Iraq is going to lose their jobs? Or are they allowed to compete to go into the, I don't know what happens in the army. Do you have other, you know, little areas where maybe they go into um, other countries or can go serve somewhere else? How does that happen? Well, absolutely. I think when you, when you bring back, you know, a massive group of people like this, there are certain special skills that are going to be needed in other areas of the military. And then there's going to be certain groups of people that are not needed and there are military hire companies um, that specialize in hiring and placing ex-military personnel because certain corporate cultures work really well resonating with the with the military environment. It's a natural match whereas some are not and so these hire companies are popping up right and left now and they will work with uh, the service personnel to try to help them uh, be placed in an environment not only that's military friendly, military family friendly, but that will work with their skill set. Hmm. Interesting. All right. Well, it's uh, time for another break. And when we return, Sandra and I will be talking about some of the psychological challenges that are facing a lot of military families. So we'll be back in just a few moments. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Girlfriended is on Toginet. Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central, with your hosts Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan. This show is your chance to share, learn, laugh, and connect with other women. The Girlfriended Principle was born out of loss. Lisa had recently had her mother pass away from cancer, and my mom um, was murdered. A man just walking into a room and started a 23-second shooting spree. I think one of the things we both realized going through those tragedies is that you can be extremely okay and be extremely sad. Check out Girlfriended.com. And then be a part of Girlfriended, the radio show, Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central. You know, your boyfriend or, or your husband or whatever, they don't totally understand that emotional side to a woman like another woman does. And I think that's so important just to have mm-hmm. somebody that you go, she gets me. Check out the website, girlfriended.com. Don't miss Girlfriended with Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan, Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. 
Well, Sandra, um, could you tell us now about uh, PTSD, what those initials stand for, and when it occurs? Uh, PTSD is known as post-traumatic stress disorder, and this is nothing new in Prior wars, we've heard it talked about as battle fatigue or combat stress. Uh, PTSD occurs when a person is in a very stressful or frightening or upsetting situation and they are changed mm-hmm. and they could have flashbacks, they could have nightmares. Um, if you've ever had a terrible fright, and it could be from a car accident, could be from, you know, just a very, very difficult situation. You can see it after divorce, very difficult divorces can result in post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, and it's typically, it's typically a situation that affects most people. The statistics coming out of this war are that a minimum of 40% of our service members are suffering from some form of PTSD. Other Reports that I've read put it as high as 60%. From my uh, perspective in working with the military for as long as I have, I think it's almost impossible to send a healthy human being into a war zone, you know, fire bullets at them, have rockets scream over, live in fright, um, live in terrible conditions, you know, being cold in the mountainsides of Afghanistan or, you know, being terribly hot in the desert um, in Iraq. These things, these conditions make it very difficult for our service members to do their job. So to have a diagnosis of PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder is, I think, a very natural reaction to the unnatural situation of war. Mm-hmm. And can it be helped? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. There are many, many treatments uh, for post-traumatic stress disorder. They can be yoga, meditation. They can be chemically based. You can take anti-anxiety drugs such as Ativan or, um, you know, different um, medications that can help you manage the fear and, and anxiety. Sleeping medication can help. The most popular relief that I hear from our servicemen and women is that when they approach an anxiety, situation and they feel their PTSD symptoms coming on, they go work out. Mm-hmm. They run, they lift weights, they take that fear energy. And we've all felt that. We've all had a nightmare. Mm-hmm. You know, you've, everybody who's had a nightmare can, can resonate somewhat with the feelings of PTSD, that heart is pounding, you know, the blood rushing, that, that, you know, fear that you've got to run, you've got to do something, you know, those are some of the symptoms of PTSD. There can also be depression, overeating, um, people can have drinking problems, they can have anger issues, there's a whole lot of things that come along with it. But basically, they're a result of the experiences in the war. And so journaling, talk therapy, um, helping others, volunteering, all of these are different ways that we can help uh, care for our uh, men and women that are suffering from PTSD. And you can have PTSD as a result of a car accident, a frightening situation, a very difficult divorce. So it's not just a diagnosis for military personnel. It's about how your body reacts to an unnatural, very stressful situation. And how it affects, well, it affects the whole family, I would imagine. So how does the rest of the family deal with um, their homecoming member that has been diagnosed with this? 
Well, what's interesting, Vivian, is when a family member comes home, they get a, about a three-week evaluation period with the military, and that may or may not uh, present a diagnosis of PTSD, but the family member comes home and the resulting family members notice a change. They're like, gee, that person isn't the same anymore. And that's going to happen on a good day. You know, when you get deployed to war and you come back, you're going to be different. And every deployment is different. So that service member that goes away for the first deployment, he goes away or she goes away for their second deployment, they're going to be different every time. Just like we will. We go to college, we come back, we're different. We go on a vacation, we come back, we're different. Our eyes have been open to new things. So that's not unnatural but when they come home and they the family members are like gee they are not able to enjoy you know my son's birthday or they are withdrawn or they are angry or they are um, depressed things that are above and beyond just our natural adjustment with different experiences and a lot of times we don't recognize PTSD till it's at a critical point that there's anger, there's hitting, there's lashing out, uh, there's uh, behaviors of addiction to numb the pain through drugs and alcohol. Uh, there's a lot of things that affect the children affect the parents, affect the friends, and affect the family members. And they may require an intervention where the service member, he or she might not think there's anything wrong with them. In many cases, they do, but in some cases, they're in denial and an intervention needs to be had. And that's where family and friends come in as great support and great guidance to help the service member through their treatment. Mm. And um, we have something else that happens too, traumatic brain injury, the TBI. Now, this is something completely different to PTSD that you've been talking about, but it also is affecting our returning or our soldiers who have returned. (laughs) Right, absolutely. And PTSD and TBI can have the same symptoms, but they're completely different conditions. Post-traumatic stress is a set of behaviors and reactions based on what you experience. A traumatic brain injury, there's so many explosions that happen in this war, in this current battle. And your brain obviously is soft in your head. And if you can think of um, a pebble being thrown in a pond and all those little ripples Mm. come out, when there is an explosion... It's that same pebble effect where there's all these little ripples of energy that comes out from an explosion and it's you get what's called like a percussion injury. Your brain shakes with those waves, you know, and it could be impacted from a blast, a fall, you know, getting hit in the head with something. Um, but it also happens as a reaction from that energy that's dispersed from these bombs, from these explosions, you know, whereas a car in front of you, you know, might get, you know, might hit a, a landmine or something and blow up. And then everybody within a certain distance is affected. Their brains are affected. And these traumatic brain injuries are very, very sneaky because they don't necessarily always show up in scans, but the behavior changes. And the behaviors from a traumatic brain injury are very similar to PTSD. And if you were in an explosion, you probably have both. 
You have the traumatic brain injury, and these brain injuries can cause memory loss, depression. Uh, you can have personality changes, all the same things that you can see with PTSD, and they go hand in hand, even though one is an actual physical manifestation of this stuff. Hmm. Well, Sandra, you've certainly opened up my eyes, my listeners' eyes, um, to a lot of the, well, stresses and challenges that our military and their families um, have to go through in order to be able to keep us free. I mean, we, we have this freedom in our country that so many of us take for granted. And I think, you know, we need to support our troops and support our military. Um, is there, are there a couple of um, charities or one organization that you would like to mention? Oh, there's a, there's so many good organizations today, Vivian. Some of them that I'd like to present to our listeners today to check out are Operation Gratitude. Uh, Carolyn Blaschek has sent over a hundred thousand care packages to our service members. That's located in Los Angeles. They're Shining Service Worldwide, which is a specific organization to help military women. Because right now, one out of every five service members in the United States is female. And that's unprecedented. And all of our programs are designed to help men, and we know men and women are very different, and they require different care for PTSD, for um, transitioning from military to civilian life. So Shining Service Worldwide caters to the female soldier, which is very cool. And then there's Harvesting Happiness for Heroes, which I really like because they advocate uh, some additional tools that can be used outside of traditional talk therapy and traditional medications to help some of our service members suffering um, from depression and suffering from some other ailments uh, mm. as a result of their service. Well, thank you. I've definitely got Operation Gratitude um, marked on um, the TogiNet page, but I will put those other two in there as well, Shining Service Worldwide. And if you're anything like me, all I do is just type in Shining Service what I can remember, and it always comes up. Google is just <laughs> wonderful. And Harvesting Happiness for Heroes, but I will definitely put those on my on my TogiNet page. Um, Sandra, we've come to the end of our time, and I want to thank you so much for taking time early morning for you um, to speak to me today. So um, I've been talking to Sandra Beck, author, coach, speaker, entrepreneur, and philanthropist. She's also host of two shows here on TogiNet Radio, Military Mum Talk Radio and Motherhood Talk Radio. In her many works and charities, Sandra Beck strives to make the world a better place for today's and our future's children. If you want to participate in Operation Gratitude to show your respect and appreciation for the men and women of the United States military in the form of a care package to individual soldiers, go to www.operationgratitude.com or to either one of the other um, wonderful charities that we just spoke about, Shining Service and Harvesting Happiness. Um, you can also visit Sandra's site at sandrabeck.com or find her on your favorite radio network, toginet.com. We talked about the withdrawal of U.S. troops from Iraq and its effect on the soldiers and their families. And we also learned exactly what it means to be a spouse, parent or sibling of a trooper who risks his or her life for our freedom. Thank you, Sandra. And I hope you have a stress-free and relaxing weekend with your family. 
Thank you. Thank you, Vivian, for having me today. Well, you're so welcome. So that brings me to the end of a particularly short show this week, it seemed. This evening, we're going to be taking my youngest daughter to the Jolly Woodman. Haven't done that in weeks. And then we'll be helping her decide what to take back to Leoncy and how to do it alone in one trip. I'll be here same time, same place next week. So without further ado, I'll say thanks to my handsome husband, who believes in love at first sight, our four children who are the result of that belief. I miss you three in Texas, and I'll be thinking of you, Paris, on Tuesday when college starts up again the hard-working staff at Toginet Radio, my outstanding guest, Sandra Beck. Listen to her shows Mondays and Tuesdays at 4 p.m. Central. And you, my faithful listeners, especially Anne in Lindale, Hannah, Tina, Rosemary, and many others who are part of my growing audience, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord show you his kindness and have mercy on you. May the Lord watch over you and give you peace. Doop, doop, doop. Doodle, Thank you for joining us for The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney on Toginat. The Sociable Homeschooler is Vivian's attempt to help dispel the stereotypical homeschool family. She and her husband have four grown children, ages 24 to 18, who are willing guinea pigs for her foray into homeschooling, the Wildflower Academy, which flourished for 15 years. Vivian is here to be an encourager to all of you who are thinking of homeschooling. Plus, you'll have some great ideas on homework, vacations, keeping science projects in the house, and being popular versus popularity. So, we'll see you here next Friday for another engaging hour with a sociable homeschooler, Vivian McNenny. Friday afternoons at 5, 4 central on toginet.com.